Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in partnership with AXA XL and all about Asia Pacific captives, including life and non-life in their portfolio. Over the next 20 minutes, I am joined by friends of the podcast, Shui Jin, head of global programs for APAC and Europe at AXA XL and Juliette Quek, regional director for Maxis Global Benefits Network in Asia Pacific. Shiwei and Juliet discuss recent life and non-life captive activity in the region, what opportunities and challenges there are for employee benefits in captives and domicile developments as well. So Shiwei, it's obviously been a while since we've had you on the Global Captive podcast. Always great to have you back on. Can you give us an update on how kind of activity captive activity and trends have developed in Asia Pacific over the past three years. Thank you very much, Richard, and it's great to be back. So I will be focusing on the non-life perspective as uh, Juliet will bring in a lot of insights from the life perspective. So on the non-life part, we definitely see more interest and actual taking up from the companies to either expand their use of captives or formulate new captives for traditional lines like property, casualty, and marine, and also lines such as a professional indemnity and DNO as well. So this expansion in the last three years is not only in some of the uh, countries like Australia, New Zealand, but also ranging across the region uh, from China to India as well. So on the existing captive owners, they have been reviewing their insurable portfolio together with their uh, consultant, as well as their partners, such as uh, brokers and insurers like XXL, and see how their captives can play a bigger role in their risk management strategy. So we see the market condition certainly have a uh, um, made effort make a push them to do that. Some of those were into fill the gaps in rare cases, taking it all for professional indemnity and DNO, especially for those financial institutions in Australia and to a lesser degree in Asia in the last three years. But we see some of the captives see this situation really as a long-term solution, while others uh, use this more like a short-term fix. And in a few cases, the clients are also combining their captives with a structured resolutions behind so that they can increase their captive capacity to better weather the changing market conditions. We also see the clients are exploring possibility for using their captives for affinity business, which is a very interesting development in the region. As for new captives, as you have reported, we see the historical growth of cell captives companies, especially in uh, Labuan. And also in the last years, I also see interest in group captives for associations, especially from Australia. Last but not least, I'm very happy to see the regulatory support and also the captive community expansion in our region as well. So in the last three years, uh, we see the new captive legislation, which creates a new captive domicile and new captive market with great potential. So India gift is a case in point. And we also see established captive uh, domiciles such as uh, Singapore, Labuan, and Hong Kong have been renewing or expanding their legislation for captives. For example, Hong Kong has already liberalized uh, its legislation for wider business scope for captives in Hong Kong. 
as long as the business has a sufficient connection with their parent companies. The detailed guidelines for this legislation in defining the sufficient connection will be available uh, as we were, as we understand, in the first half of this year. This would provide certainty and attraction for new captives in our region and also APAC parent companies to move potentially its captives back to home. In addition to the regulatory uh, support, I'm also thrilled to see our captive uh, industry also expanding from the talents and also the wider interests from our uh, risk uh, professionals here. So this including captive gurus around the world moving to APAC, uh, and also like in Excel, I also see colleagues have also a larger interest and understanding of the captives and how to work with our partners and our clients on that. And we also uh, just announced you know, my dear colleague, Marine Chabonet, now is the head of our captives and facultative underwriting for APAC and Europe. So she has extensive knowledge in the captive management, and we will be working closely together on our captive global program clients in the region and continue to support our captive community here. Shawai, there's absolutely a lot for me to unpack there. And there's, there's so much information that I would love to follow up with you on, you know, particularly excited about changes in Hong Kong and India uh, regarding uh, captive legislation and liberalizing the market for captives. I think they're both very exciting developments and we will be tracking that closely. And you also mentioned uh, affinity business going into captives uh, in the Asia Pacific uh, region, which is also uh, one for us to keep an eye on. And, and I think also matches a trend we've been seeing for a while in, in the US and Europe. But we've got Juliet here from Maxis Global Benefits Network as well. Juliet, um, obviously, we've talked before, spoken before about employee benefits in the region. How has the picture changed over the past three years regarding interest in reinsuring EB into captives in the region? Employee benefits captive demonstrate the values and most appreciated in a hard market, especially like a crisis. So as a result of the pandemic, it has intensified the interest in the captives too. So taking a look back, when the world you know, was battling against the pandemic and suffering from a receding economy, one of the top priorities for most organizations and even you know, leaders of government in responding to the pandemic is to protect, maintain the safety and health and well-being of the population. Now, with all these challenges, as we could see in the market that HR, risk manager, finance leader, are uh, even now more collaborating closely, trying to find new innovative ways to support their business as well as the employees. So the captain comes in a very great or handy tool to support organizations, especially in navigating these uncertainty of risk and operating environment out there. Now, one of the uh, things that we have observed um, in the employee benefits captive in terms of financial benefits, which is quite clear, is captive owners is able to support by elevating the financial burden by lowering the premium that needs to go in for that program for the last two years versus the local risk insurance you know, out there, depending on the risk appetite. 
Now, with the world that has been changing, that we are living now, the new adoption, the innovative, you know, facility of benefits to be introduced out there. There is also a non-financial benefits that could be seen in the employee benefits captive. And I would like to cite it out loudly. And this is one of the programs that we saw back two years ago. It was the introduction of the telemedicine and the teleconsultation. Now, this wasn't a prevalence facility or even a benefit two years ago. And there was a lot of hesitant question marks among the risk manager or even insurance company. How much should I, you know, why should I be providing, how much should I providing telemedicine teleconsultation versus increase my utilization? Does my risk actually increase? But you could see that the captive owners, which has been, you know, much more forthcoming, able to accept these kind of new, you know, innovative facility and risk into the program of the healthcare to help whereby the employees continue to um, enjoy the health service and the needs and the treatment out there. Now, another um, factor to take into consideration, it's not new, it's the worldwide rising inflation and the increasing medical trend. In Asia itself, it's projected about 10 to 12% for 2023. Nobody's going to escape from here. But a more proactive risk management strategy has to be adopted by organizations so that they could try to outbeat the medical trend with a more controlled and a stronger coordination of employee benefits through the captive too. So this is something, again, uh, we see that's a spur of interest in expanding employee benefits into the captive. Really good to hear, but it can uh, it continues to be embraced. And obviously, we know that companies, you know, outside of Asia Pacific, obviously use their captives to uh, reinsure employee benefits in Asia Pacific. So, what are some of the country by country variances or, or challenges in terms of implementing EB captive programs in the region? I would like to split into two folds. The first one is from the captive's perspective. When the captive risk manager considering into such innovative support of benefits to be incorporating into the captive. There is always limitation of data. So just taking the example I raised um, earlier, uh, it's the telemedicine and teleconservation where there is no such you know, facility out there. So how do you price it? What's the right pricing? What's the right utilization to accept the risk? So this is one of the challenge that we see from the captive from the risk appetite perspective. Then the other fall, it's very much depending on the risk or the insurance maturity of each country and jurisdiction. Now in Asia, as we know, some of the countries has a seeding risk, you know, limitation. Let's take care of Malaysia, it's 50% out there. So with that limitation, it does impact in the influence of the captive so-called their risk appetite. So if the captive wants, um, the captive risk manager would want a X dollars, you know, risk versus where a local insurance company able to only accept a Y dollar. So that's where a challenge will come in to bridge from the risk perspective out there. And obviously um, the other um, part of it is the product availability in the market. So we talk about DE&I initiative for a lot of organizations out there, but there's still, you know, some limitation and regulatory, uh, even product availability to cover 
um, these kind of uh, benefits in some of the countries in Asia Pacific. So pretty much these are some of the challenges or variants that we can actually see upon implementing an employee benefits program. So in terms of, we've talked before, Juliet, about some of the barriers or obstacles or, or challenges with regards to uh, getting more uh, companies based in the region on board with the captive employee benefits approach. What's what's the situation there? What are some of the challenges, the kind of prevalent challenges uh, facing that now? Well, in my opinion, I would say that convincing the internal stakeholder for the captive to include employee benefits at the exploratory stage can be quite a challenge and a long process because it is a concept where it's being referred as, you know, setting up a fund to pay for losses, which why do we need to set up, you know, the whole complex, you know, structure of the captive out there, uh, the cost being involved, uh, including, you know, the professional risk manager. So the ability to demonstrate the value upfront to the C-suite even to the HR or, or procurement that is involved in the organization, especially in the soft market insurance uh, setting, it, it can be quite challenging out there. And adding another layer of complexity, because employee benefits is mainly run by the HR function, whereas the captive is mainly run by the finance or the risk you know, function. And many times, or even, you know, uh, we have seen uh, companies that are out there where there are also uh, procurement being involved. So there's a lot of alignment uh, between all these internal stakeholders to understand the goals of the captive, the achievement of the captive, so that the global employee benefit strategy of the captive can be implemented you know, efficiently around the world. Now, obviously, there's uh, dynamics to consider about economic uh, viability, um, the coordination you know, mechanism to ensure subsidiaries buy-in, even to the extent of local compliance requirement and relationship to take into consideration. But what I would recommend is a good start-off is to build a solid, good relationship uh, between the stakeholder, making them to understand um, why, you know, this whole um, captive uh, strategy and what's in for them in the long run. And to look at it as a holistic view, not only on, you know, each market view out there. Now, there is also factors to consider, such as in some um, challenge, even though the captive would like to take it in after even you have finished, you know, that stage of getting the endorsement and the support from the company, regulation, right, where to set up, uh, which domicile, the cost, you know, of setting up the new, you know, captive uh, and regulation, in fact, for employee benefits, it's not a rocket inside, but in certain market itself, there are still, you know, markets where you need to consider is this integrating into with the medical social, you know, uh, scheme as well. And risk manager tends to struggle to analyze such risk exposure, especially where countries um, less, you know, developed with limited credible data out there. Uh, given that complexity of this structure, that's where um, the convincing you know, of 
the setting up of the EB captive? Is it something that is really worth you know the time, the commitment, and the other concerns you know also play a part out there? Thanks, Juliet. I'm always exciting to talk about employee benefits. Shuei, in terms of um, regulatory, and we just took, we discussed, you mentioned some domiciles earlier and obviously some exciting developments in the domiciles in the region. What is the different domiciles' stance on captives reinsuring employee benefits? Are they open to it? Is it permitted? Do they have to be separate captives? What, what's the situation? So our main domiciles in the region, such as Hong Kong, the and Singapore, they are all open to captive reinsuring their employee benefits uh, into their captive. And as far as we know, we have uh, existing captives domiciled in both Hong Kong and Singapore, writing employee benefits into their captive for a few years. There are some details our captive owners must be aware. So, uh, Richard, you mentioned about, you know, whether there is any differences, etc. And indeed, there are some differences, and it's all in the details. So, for example, in Lab One, a separate company must be established for a captive insurer wishes to underwrite life insurance. In Hong Kong, a captive insurer is legally defined as an insurer which carries on general insurance business only. And therefore, by definition, only short-term employee benefits can be written according to the license. So captive owners and prospects need to work closely with their captive advisors when it comes to their employee benefits underwriting strategy, short-term versus long-term, as well as a risk profile uh, could be very different. And there are domicile regulatory specifics, which would have an impact on their decision as well. Yeah, always good to know what those particulars are. And in terms of um, corporates in the region, are they interested in combining life and, and non-life, non-life together? What's kind of the, the sense you get from um, your clients if, the, if they're interested in going down that approach? I think in general, there is a wide interest to understand how to combine life and non-life together into their captives. But when it comes to the actual implementation, even for exploration, corporates in APAC are indeed at different phases due to their risk management priorities and also business strategy. Juliet already just now mentioned some challenges faced to, uh, by the corporates you know, when it comes to incorporating employee benefits into their captives. So stakeholder alignment as well as bringing that convinced board support is key and the complexity involved. So I see from my clients, you have some Chinese captives, which are the risk management center of their entire group and either have the mandate or the strategic interest to explore and have both life and non-life business into their captives. But you also have a captives which are set up more as a short-term fix in order to weather the, um, the difficulties they are facing. Then in that instance, it's very hard for them to look into how to combine life and non-life together into their captives because they would need to see how their insurance strategy and overall risk management strategy would involve. But what I see in the last three years and going forward, one key uh, major change that would benefit the further exploration to combine life and non-life into their captives indeed is the uh, changing role and also the uh, increasing importance of the risk management function. 
They're building a stronger connection with the core functions in their corporation and is indeed on the center stage due to the pandemic and actively engaging in matters that are critical to the enterprise's resilience. So both survive and thrive. And when it comes to employee benefits, Julia has just now given very good examples uh, into this uh, pandemic as well. So when a company can take a longer term in terms of a strategic and holistic view of their risk management and have early planning on what their captive is for and how to take the captive into the next stage, then I would say there is a wider interest and more possibility for them to combine the life and non-life together into their captive. Well, thank you to Shiwei and Juliet for that discussion. It's always good to hear the latest developments from the Asia-Pacific region. If you would like more information on AXA XL and Maxis Global Benefits Network's captive services, then do visit their Friends of the Podcast page on the captiveintelligence.io website. And there are links in the episode show notes. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Captives.